Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I hope everyone that's listening uh, successfully came through the winter storm that you didn't suffer too egregiously from the low temps, power outages, lack of water, etc. Hopefully, uh, hopefully everyone is, has come through okay. I am joined by my co-host this week. She's the owner of Avondale Food and Wine in Montrose. We follow her on Instagram at Mary Lee Clarkson. Mary Clarkson, welcome back to the show. How are you? I am rested after a very long week. It's good to be here. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, no surprise, we need to talk about the effects of the winter storm. Shut the city down for a few days. Obviously, millions of people were without power, which then caused a decline in water pressure. And so a bunch of people didn't have water. Um, This hurt restaurants, particularly, right? They were, the storm blew into town on February 14th, which of course is Valentine's Day. So people very wisely canceled their Valentine's Day reservations that cost restaurants a bunch of money and then they were closed, right? No revenue. Then they had to throw away a bunch of product. I mean, I, I know, uh, for example, Cata Robata had to completely start over with, uh, with all of their inventory. Um, Mary, let me just, let me just throw it to you. First of all, how did Avondale fare in the storm? I mean, we were lucky in the sense that we didn't have any burst pipes or anything like that, but I mean, we definitely had power go out in the middle of service Tuesday night, um, giving a true uh, meeting to dining in the dark. Um, it was a little scary in the sense that, you know, literally, how can I see my way to the kitchen? Um, fortunately, everybody was really patient and kind. Uh, the last guy that was in the building that night was trying to feed his wife, who was a nurse at a hospital who hadn't eaten all day and neither had any of her peers. So he was trying to get food for 25 people and Olivier was cooking on the line in the dark, him holding a flashlight, uh, the gentleman that was ordering the food to go. So we packed all that up. That was our last meal. And just really lucky to have handheld POSs so I could close people out offline, but scary. And, you know, we were closed for a few days after that um, before we were able to get back online. And even when restaurants were able to get back online, it was, you know, Places like Kacharabata, they can't just go to any store and replenish their sushi. It, it takes a minute. So um, it was a rough week for a lot of people. My, my friends that run Squabble and Anvil and BLT and all of that, they were closed for the better part of a week. So it's, it's a pretty rough ride this past 12 months, let's say. Well, right. I mean, all of, all of this comes on top of all of the challenges of operating during a pandemic, you know, masking, distancing, reduced capacity, all of that. I mean, I, I went out to dinner. I went out to 1751 Saturday night and they were saying, you know, the, the boil water notice doesn't just affect that you can't, you know, use the soda machine or you, you know, it's harder to brew iced tea. You know, it's, it's. Yeah. You can't do things like espresso or anything that runs a water line. Right. Well, you can't, they couldn't use their rice cooker. 
right? They had to make they had to make rice the old fashioned way. They had to, you know, wow, boil water and then boil rice, and it 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 just it it influenced every aspect of their operations. I I actually was very impressed. They they boiled enough water in advance of service that they actually had drinking water and tea available. Uh, that's, but I, that's impressive. I, I know that that was not the case at most places. I went to Polly's Friday night, you know, you know, one of my favorite things to, to get there, of course, is to make my own little Arnold Palmer with the tea and the lemonade. And of course that was, that was definitely not happening. Yeah. So. Papa, Papa's told me uh, one of my friends that works at Papa's downtown because just on Valentine's cancellations alone, that cost them about $60,000. Yeah. Which is a lot of money. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I guess kind of what else, I mean, you, you talked about squabble, you talked about Pappas. I mean, is, what is kind of the response in the community to this? Is it, is it just kind of stiff up her lip and keep going? I mean, this, or is this just like, I mean, some people like, have business interruption insurance, which this would fall under, right? COVID doesn't, my attorney had, I'm putting on, but if you have true business interruption insurance you can file a claim on this and for somebody like papa's that loses that kind of money it makes sense to do that but for a smaller restaurant that let's say lost a few thousand dollars for a couple of days if your deductible's five grand you're kind of you know sol'd so to speak because you pay the deductible and then you get dinged on your insurance and it, you know you're basically breaking even um so it's it's not a good situation period no no it's it certainly isn't and i i guess you know to the extent that you know i've I've heard from a, a few people you know what can we do to support restaurants at this time dine out or order out to order to go like any any little thing you can do and and the smallest businesses are the ones that are the most vulnerable and those are also the ones that you want around on the other end of this. Like, I, I mean, obviously I'm speaking for myself, but you're going to catch me 98% of the time only at a local business. And those are the ones that, that really need the help the most. And, and your money stays in the community when you dine in, with small businesses. No, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, out of sympathy to the, the servers who lost a week's pay, you know, especially that, that Valentine's day money, you know, that really would have helped people. It's huge. I mean, that's, that's, that's a server's rent for the month. I mean, honestly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was reading something in the New York times today about, you know, restaurant employees encountering hostile customers who, you know, want to see their smile, right. Pull, Pull your mask down and show me your face. It's like, please, if you're listening to this and I have any influence over your behavior, like, don't do that. Don't, don't be a jerk. Respect the rules. Uh, you know, be a good, be a good customer, be a good guest, tip generously and just understand that this is, you know, we're still in a pandemic. We've still, we've lost a week of business. You know, now is the time to be, um, less demanding, I guess, than, than. Yeah. Just be kind. I mean, I will say I, I ran into some of my friends yesterday um in the industry and i was just like you know what tuesday was really really trying but there was not one unkind person everybody was very patient um and in a year where 
it's already very, very hard to do our job um, and enforce the rules of social distancing and our customers wearing masks. And it's just, uh, they're long days. And so, you know, kindness and patience goes a long way. Absolutely. All right. Let us move on to topic number two, call this actual restaurant news. The Heights MKT development has added Blue Sushi Saki Grill, part of the Omaha-based flagship restaurant group. Now, this is the new mixed-use development that's going up on Shepherd Drive, just north of I-10. Uh, some, some pretty interesting stuff coming to Heights MKT. Uh, Honey Child Sweet Creams, the farmer's market favorite ice cream shop. Uh, Dagama Canteen, a new project from the owners of Oporto. Homestead, a all-day breakfast and lunch concept, kind of in the style of Buffalo Grill. Um, and then a couple of out-of-town concepts, including this Blue Sushi Saki Grill and Rockin' Ramen, which makes a California shop that makes uh, vegetable-based ramen. Um, Mary, let me, just, let me just throw it to you. I mean, Blue Sushi Saki Grill, not a lot of sushi in the Heights, right? I mean, there's a couple of hand-rolled no. places in Ka. So this there's a there's that Umi Umi place. Oh um, yes, Umi, the new one on White Oak from uh, on the, White Oak, and I went there last week, and it's I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, is it the MF Sushi people? It is connected that, to the MF Sushi people. You are correct. It's it's really pretty. It's the old Baby Barney B's space on White Oak, uh, right across from BB's and Bobcat Teddy's. I went there last week. It's actually really good. Um, but yes, there's not other. Th- I I can't really think of sushi heights places other than like handies and handos and stuff like that um right and ka at uh and, yeah so i think you know more the merrier i mean there's so much going on in the heights right now i think sushi is an underrepresented category um it'll be curious to see how their pricing is omi was kind of uh a higher end uh spot and i feel like handies and hondos are more affordable um i've never been to Ka for the record so i don't know how their pricing is but yeah i think i think more sushi for the heights is a good thing yeah i i mean i have to say i'm a little bit you know it's omaha omaha is not necessarily known for its uh culinary uh innovation but they do have, they have three locations in Dallas-Fort Worth that all have a pretty good reputation. Uh, and they have a lot of vegan options, which I think is kind of unusual for a sushi restaurant and seems very well suited to the Heights to me. It's one of my favorite things about Uchi, honestly, is their vegetarian menu. I like it when sushi restaurants have a lot of vegetarian options. Yeah, and then add in, you know, they're known for a lively atmosphere. They're known for having a bunch of creative cocktails. You know, this is not maybe like, this maybe is not like the place to go for, a, you know, an omakase experience necessarily, but it, it might be like perfectly suited for a happy hour on a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm excited. I'll be excited to try this. I, I like dining out in the Heights and there's always seemingly more and more options. All right, and then topic number three, the new season of Top Chef premieres April 1st. When it does, Houstonians will recognize two of our own, Sasha Grumman, formerly of Rosalie Italian Soul, and Don Burrell, who used to work at Culture and is going to open a restaurant called Late August in partnership with 
Lucille Chiffon or Chris Williams are both on the cast. Uh, Mary, let me let me just ask you, are you a Top Chef fan? I don't think of you as a big TV watcher. I'm not a huge TV person, but I obviously like things like Iron Chef um, and Top Chef. I haven't watched in a while, but I, I do like Top Chef. Yeah, I have to say, I had not, I had kind of drifted away from Top Chef and I got back into it last year. Uh, you know, there were when there were no sports on TV, I needed anything that was even vaguely sort of competition. So uh, I watched, you know, The Bachelor, I watched Survivor, I watched Top Chef, and there's a whole bunch of old seasons of Top Chef on Hulu. And so I went back and watched a bunch of them too. Any, anything to get a little, a little competition. And I was just reminded not only of like how much fun Top Chef is to watch as a television program, but like how good the food is and how prominent the judges are. I mean, this can be a real career making, you know, event for someone assuming that they do well. Yeah. It's, I mean, people pay attention to this stuff and it does have an impact and and that part of it's undeniable. People still uh, remember Olivier from when he did Iron Chef against Mario Batali many years ago. Um, so, you know, it sticks in people's minds and they know that it's a hard, you know, any of these shows, they're hard competitions, right? So you've got to prepare for them and really show your chops. So uh, I think it'll be interesting to watch both of these chefs from Houston. Do you have any predictions or, or, or let me, let me, let me put it to you more like this. You know, it's very, very hard to win. So. It, it is seems, very hard to win. It seems, um, it seems safe to assume that, that maybe, I mean, it would be awesome if they win. I don't really expect either of them to win. Like in your opinion, what's a good outcome? Like how, how far do you have to get? To I just, feel like I don't know how good? far you have to get. I just think the dishes that you do have to be well received, right? Like what, what the food that you're making has to be impressive. Um, and how far, I don't know. I mean, it's really hard. It's really hard to win these competitions. Um, I just think the farther along you get, the more airtime you get. So the better you're going to do. Yeah. I was reminded of, well, I think the, the one thing is don't be, don't be first out. Yeah, you never no. want to be yeah, first. Yeah, don't want to be first out. You want to stick around. Do you have to make it all the way? Probably not, but the longer the better, right? Of course. Right. At least to restaurant wars. That's the that's the the iconic episode. Yes. Every year. So make it to restaurant wars. All right. And then I was a subtle reminder of just how like crazy big Top Chef is. If you look on your Instagram stories and you do the the GIF search, uh, you can type Top Chef Tosh, Top Chef Sasha, easy for me to say, or Top Chef Don, and there are three different GIFs for each chef. So you can have them, you know, color up your Instagram stories uh, now, at least at least through the life of the show. And, wow. Uh, yeah. You know. Okay, that's impressive. Say, right. <laughs> I mean, they're 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 very funny. Um, you know, they're, they're pointing or Sasha flips her hair in one of them. I mean, you know, it's, it's, they're all different, but, uh, yeah. If you had any doubt that this show is very popular and is about to catapult these two women to another level of national prominence, I mean, here you go. Yeah. 
And then I don't know. I don't know how it works with Bravo and you know media, and but we'll we'll try to get them on maybe after their experiences so they can talk about participating. Yeah, I'm in pretty sure you're not going to be able to talk to them about it before. <laughs> well, they they certainly can't say anything about how they did or who wins. You know, I, I understand that. But yes, it would be interesting to learn a little bit more about how they decided to participate and and what lessons they sort of brought from the, the experience. All right, Mary, that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. So Mary, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about roots. This is the new wine bar that just opened in the East end. Chef JD Fouché, who, People may know from his time at Riel or at Reef, uh, partnering with owners Lori Hernandez and Paul Siwak. It's an interesting concept in that it is self-serve. It's a self-serve wine bar. So you, you get a little card and then there's a, a, an area with about 56 wine bottles uh, on each on an individual tap and you put your card in the machine you select the size of your pour, one, three, or five ounces. You push a button and it dispenses the wine into your glass. Um, before we kind of talk about that aspect specifically, just what were your kind of your impressions of, of Roots? I mean, I know that you had an event at Avondale where JD cooked a pig and you've known Lori for a while. So, yeah. so what were kind of your expectations for, for Roots when we got there? Um, you know, I did not walk the space prior to us going in there because I wanted it to, I wanted to see, you know, the end product and see what it looked like. Um, I was very impressed with the space as far as aesthetically, the way it looks, it feels, it feels like it's part of the neighborhood, which I think that's the number one goal. Um, it feels, they used a lot of natural elements, right? Their name of their restaurant bar is Roots, but the wood cladding on the outside was nice. I liked how much outdoor seating they had, especially during COVID times. I think that's really important to have plentiful outdoor seating. They had a lot on the front and a lot on the side of the building. Um, it kind of felt like a little bit like Boheme in that sense, like the amount of seating that they had, uh, which was nice, especially running along the building. The inside... Um, was warm and inviting. I liked their light fixtures. We were sitting in their private dining room. I think that's nice that they had a separate space if somebody wanted to book a, a private party. So aesthetically, I thought, I thought it hit a lot of marks. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, I, that, that point about the outdoor seating is, is well taken. It was, it was very cold or it was, it was, yes, you know, it was the kind of the first, uh, the first, flush of that winter storm had uh had arrived so you know we didn't linger outside but yes uh plenty of outdoor seating you know a, a kind of very clean industrial space with some some natural accents right those those uh wood branches hanging from the ceiling are, are really nice and and yes we we sat in the private dining room you know like i said we were uh we were their guests and this was kind of friends and family so the kitchen was uh the kitchen was in sort of advanced practice mode, getting ready for the real opening. 
what were some of the highlights on the menu for you? I mean, I, I mean, I, I certainly have my favorites. Um, their Brussels sprouts were actually very, very good. And I know that's a popular dish in this town that we can find many iterations. Uchi's one of my favorite iterations of Brussels sprouts, but they were flavorful. They were crispy, really delicious. Uh, their duck dish was one of my favorite. I selfishly wish there was a little more duck on the plate for the price, but it was cooked perfectly. That was really good. And their pasta dish they had that evening was also delightful. Yeah, that uh, shrimp cavatelli was, uh, was really very nice. And uh, I agree with you about the duck dish. The, the fried oysters were really excellent. Uh, Ooh, those J- were good. JD's the cornmeal was very, very good. Yeah, JD's from New Orleans. He really knows his way around. And and that silly dessert, the the foie gras with the the muscadine grape gelato, I thought was, uh, and the peanut powder, I thought was really really smart. Anybody who's pulling out muscadine, I'm proud of. It was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> and then let's talk about the wine list just a little bit. You know, like I said, 56 wines on tap, uh, more available by the bottle. You know, I'm a little bit torn about the self-serve model because uh, on the one hand, it is super convenient, right? If you want another glass, you don't have to wait for the waiter to come to the table. You don't have to do anything like you can just get up and get it. Um, yeah. On the other hand, I, I wonder a little bit about sort of the educational aspect and kind of knowing, like if you, if you don't know what you want, you know, they're, they're going to have some shelf talkers that sort of explain, that give you kind of a basic overview. Uh, they hired sommelier Greg Starks, who's, who's very knowledgeable. You know, he came over from Acadian Coast. He worked with Shepard Ross at Bravery. He's been at, uh, he was at Hunky Dory back in the day. So, you know, he's a talented guy and he knows that list really well. Um, but it's just a matter of, you know, there's that, that kind of educational component. Um, I don't know. What did you, what do you kind of think of this self-serve model? Because it's, it's definitely coming more, I'm, more and more places I'm, are going to be doing. This. I'm going to dive deep here for a second on a couple of different levels. First, as a bar owner, myself as a wine bar owner and wine shop and restaurant, I, prior to us going to roots, the type of wine bars I go to are representative of what I think, you know, typical wine bar culture in Houston has been. So Camerata, 13 Celsius, How to Survive, Vinology, like those are the places I go. And and I go not necessarily because of the wine that I'm drinking. I go because of the interaction I'm having with the staff and the education that they're providing and the discussions you have. So I think I think a lot of people look toward their to their wine bars, wine shops for that interaction. So the self-serve component, I think 56 wines, I think that's fine. I think the number of of wines that they serve, that's plenty um, because, you know, it literally takes up a wall the entire length of the restaurant. So it would be hard to fit more in there. Uh, They did do a nice job on the soft opening night of having a server there that would answer questions. But I just, I think they need to make sure that the entire staff is cross-trained on that, not just a couple, because it's, it's going to be hard to have the same person up there the entire length of service. Um, so I, I hope that they do that and I'm sure that they will. Um, 
I think they need to be careful about their pricing is some of the feedback that I've gotten from members of the community. Cause it's not the, I know the night that we were there, they didn't have the descriptors up of the wines and they were putting those up the next day, but I, I wish it would have told me it was one, three and five ounces. I don't think that it did the first night. Do you remember if it did? No, it displays on the screen, right? You it's, can, you can select it, one, three or five and okay. then you press the button to dispense. I don't remember if I saw the number of ounces. I just saw like the size of the glass pour, like basically small, medium or large. Um, I, I wish maybe there was a way to do like a $5 credit for everyone's card um, that allows them at least one taste. Because if you go to any other wine bar, they'll pour you a taste of whatever you're interested in. So I think, I don't know. I think that might be something they want to consider just because people are used to being able to go to any wine bar or any restaurant and be like, can I have a taste of that? Um, I do like the self-service component for a lot of people. That's going to be amazing for the people that want more interaction. Maybe they'll build out, you know, a, a bar portion of the space or consider that because I know they really want to be a wine bar, but I don't remember seeing a physical bar space it feels more like a restaurant to me which the food is amazing so it can succeed as that what are your thoughts eric yeah no i i mean i agree with you i think you know the the one thing about those one ounce pours is in terms of the pricing is i i do think that they should be relatively inexpensive right three dollars ish because, you know, that's really just enough to kind of get a taste. Yeah. And and it helps people sort of identify the thing that they're going to commit to, you know, for the rest of the evening. So, and you're right, you know, at, a, at How to Survive or Camerata or, or any of the other uh, wine bars, it's like, if you want a taste of something, like typically the bartender will just pour you a splash just to, just to get a feel for it. So balancing that out is something they're going to have to figure out a little bit. Um, and I do, I mean, I do agree with you. It does feel more like a restaurant than a wine bar as much because most of the seating are sort of traditional restaurant style tables. And the, the food program is so much more robust than a typical wine bar. So it, it sort of slots somewhere in between like, a wine bar with cheese and charcuterie plates like how to survive and yeah. a restaurant with a really great wine list like Nancy's hustle. Right. Just to pick sort of two. Uh, I really liked the food. And when you look out on the dining room from like, we were in the private dining room, but you look out, it feels and looks like a restaurant. So I, you know, I don't know, but like, we've had this debate before at BLT. Is it a bar? Is it a restaurant? I think during COVID, BLT certainly feels like a restaurant, but maybe in the beginning days, it felt like a bar with food. Um, I, that debate's always interesting, right? What, what does it feel more like? Right. And, and ultimately, how do people use it? Right. Yeah. I, I but, think, and your, your customer will tell you, you just have to listen. Right. I, I think ultimately, people who just want to go to Roots for wine will be able to do that and have a very yeah. good experience and have an appetizer or, or a small plate or two and be very content. 
yeah, people that want to use it for a wine bar, they're going to sit in the lounge seats by the front door area or on the patio. I really do see that patio as being like the place where you sit if you just want a glass of wine. Right. Absolutely. And conversely, if you want to have it for dinner with friends or a date night or whatever, it's, it's very capable of fulfilling that too. Yes, I agree. So all in all, um, a very nice addition to the East end. Uh, we've talked about this before, but, but really like this is the hot new dining neighborhood in Houston. This for me, I mean, as a real estate attorney and broker, like this is the neighborhood where young, younger people are moving. This is where newer restaurants and bars can still afford to go. If I were a younger person thinking about opening a business in the hospitality sector in Houston, this is where I would park my money. There you go. All right. Uh, Mary, that does it for the restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. You are welcome. All right. And no guests this week. We're still kind of getting back in the swing of things after the winter storm. So thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week.